This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with the stresses and strains on the healthcare system, especially hospital emergency rooms. Now, for people in Surrey, they're aware of the delays that you can experience at the Surrey Memorial Hospital ER. Some of the hallway medicine there, people on gurneys and stretchers. Now, that, that's one thing. But think about the small towns now where the local hospital emergency room just gets shut down. This is happening in more and more communities. Have a listen to the mayor of Elkford here. This is Steve Fairbairn, where this happens a lot. It's very frustrating. I get, without exaggeration, daily questions from citizens. Nobody's happy about it. People are worried. Yeah, people are worried as well in the city of Merritt. <clears throat> Let's check in with the mayor now, Michael Getz. Mayor Getz, thanks a lot for coming on today. Hey, no problem, Mike. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. Tell me what's happening with the hospital emergency room there in Merritt, because it, it was shut down over the Thanksgiving weekend again, right? Well, surprise, surprise, it shut down again this morning. Oh, okay, here we go again. Okay, how yeah, often does this going. happen? 16 times in 10 months. So, um, unacceptable. Um, uh, I have raised many concerns. I've asked for internal investigations. So the only thing that we're settling on now, Mike, is the fact that next year when we calculate our tax for 2024, where we hand in our remittance, we're going to be pulling out every single day that we didn't get service. So if we go 20 days before this year's over, that's how many days we'll pull out, and we're not going to pay for that service because we never got it. We're also going to charge back every time our fire department has to go out and cover EHS because when our hospital closes and people need to go to Calus or Kelowna, our ambulances are immediately out of town, and we have to then have our fire department, who are not trained to do EMT start being EMTs and then they have to sit and wait for an ambulance from Princeton or Penticton or wherever to take these people away. So we also are going to be charging those costs back as well because we're not going to be downloaded on because you can't keep the hospitals open. I mean, this weekend alone, Karameas, Oliver, New Denver and Merritt were all down. So wow. when you've got a fire burning this hard, you may want to think about breaking out a water bomber and flying over with a plan and dropping some water because right now, uh, we have no idea when our hospital will be open or closed. I mean, we're getting to the point where just give us a time when you'll actually be open rather than yeah. closed because we're constantly closed here. Okay, now this is very intriguing what, you, the, what you're describing there. So you're saying that the city of Merritt would withhold tax payments to the province here? Like how much money are we talking about here? Well, this is where we'll have to calculate it. We will calculate... We send in our remittance based on the rooftops of taxpayers within the community. So we will do that. I can't give you a number right now, but, uh, you know, you, you, you can start to figure out what a day in the hospital might cost just one person. But anyways, we will, we will figure out the cost, and we will divide it by the rooftop taxes, and what that number comes to per day is what we'll pull back. 
Okay, so you would you would withhold taxes for days when the hospital emergency room is shut down and also for any responses by your fire department on emergency calls? Right. What's out right. Of okay. if, if, if it's out of their scope and they yeah. have to do it because our emergency health services ambulances are all out of town because they're transporting people to Kelowna or Kamloops because their hospital is closed and it's out of scope work, then we will also charge back for that as well. Because our ambulance people do have EMT training, but they're not EMTs and they can't transport people. So that then takes our firefighters, and we're an on-call firefighting system here. So most of these people work at a job and then they have to leave their job to come and do this work. So they're actually losing out on work to to fill in this gap once their hospital closes down. So um, I've asked our fire chief to keep tally on what it's costing uh, and yeah. then also it's, it's taxing on our RCMP who are now having to answer calls because there are no EMTs and the, the fire department may be at somebody else. And what does e, what is EMT stand? What does EMT stand for? Uh, emergency, uh, uh, emergency, uh, it, it, uh, medical training, EMT. Um, they're, they're the big people that are in the ambulances. And okay. I mean, the other thing too, it's hard on the RCMP because when our fire department is busy with everything else and another call comes in, then the RCMP have to respond. So we've got all of these internal uh, situations happening because our hospital can't stay open and it's costing the citizens of Merritt and the citizens yeah. of New Denver and the citizens of Oliver, of Oliver and the citizens of Carameas. Uh, a lot of their budget is going to uh, the fact that their hospitals aren't open and we pay for it and yeah. we're not getting those days. Speaking to Michael Getz, the mayor of Merritt, saying he the city is prepared to withhold tax payments to the province here. Okay, I appreciate you say you're still calculating this, but if we were to ballpark it, are we talking thousands of dollars here, potentially tens of thousands of dollars? I would imagine in that ballpark somewhere, yeah. I would imagine uh, what one day uh, closed would be. Uh, I, I imagine this would be fairly significant. And you know oh. what they say, money talks, right? So... Um, I'm sure I'll be told I can't do it, but we'll, well do it I, just, anyway. I was just going to say, is this, is this legal? We'll find out <laughs> and, uh, we'll, we'll find out where we go. I mean, do you really want to be the province that says, Hey, you know what? Um, yeah, we didn't give you the service, but we're going to take the money anyway. And we expect yeah. you just to pay it and be quiet about it, especially coming into an election year. I don't think that's the route you want to take. Okay. What have you heard from the province on this? What Nothing. are they saying? Nothing. Not a word. Okay. So uh, I, I don't expect we'll hear anything until we actually do it. What if they take you to court, force you to pay up? Well, then again, that, that you know, I, I won't do anything that causes the citizens of my community to be in a, in a fine situation where they actually would have to pay more. And that's fine. Uh, I won't do that. That's not what this is about. This is about growing up. You and I grew up knowing that when you gave a service, if you knocked on somebody's door and you got $20 to shovel their driveway, you shoveled their driveway. You just didn't do half of it or just walk away. So uh, if this is a thing of morals. You took the money saying you would be open, so uh, I shouldn't even have to ask for this. We should be credited back. Uh, I shouldn't have to throw this out to the government. They should be going, hey, you know what? We didn't give you the full service, so we're going to give you a credit. You know, something like that. But we'll find out how the whole thing goes. Okay. Merit, of course, not alone in this. You, you mentioned many other communities that are impacted. Would you be advising and encouraging other municipalities to do the same thing, withhold tax money to the province? I'm, tr- I'm trying to get some of the other mayors to get on board with it, yeah. What have you heard uh, from I, them? Anyone else getting on board with you? Um, nothing yet, but I mean, I, I'm still still trying just to see, you know, some are accepting what it is and others are, are mulling it over. We'll see what happens with it, but I'm yeah. hoping to get a couple of communities to join in because... Again, we'll see what happens and we'll see where it goes. Uh, but it's the, it's the only thing we have. I have a, 
a call into Minister Dix so I could talk to him today to see if we actually have a plan because it's getting a little out of control. So hopefully him and I can have a conversation today and we can see there's some sort of a plan because all I need to do is see a plan and, and, and you know, at least I can say to people we're moving forward on something. I'm just not seeing any kind of plan at this point. What have you heard back from the citizens of Merritt on this idea? What are they telling you? Uh, they're all for it. I mean, again, they're taxpayers. It would be the same thing, uh, Mike, if I sold you a pool pass for $42 and you got 31 days, but halfway through something broke and you lost five days of that pool pass. Well, in our community, it's the same at the arena. We would credit you five days on your next uh, monthly pass. So we would take right. those five days that you already paid for that you didn't get, and we would pull it off of your next day, your next pass. That's just the normal way of doing things. That's what we've always done here. And I would expect the same thing to be happening with the provincial government. If you cannot supply the service, then you shouldn't be charging for it. Speaking to Mike Getz, the mayor of Merritt, what happens in Merritt if someone has a heart attack or something even equally serious and they need emergency care, the emergency room is shut down, where do they go? Well, here's the situation. So let's say it happens closer to noon. Um, This uh, ridiculous 2.5 decrim that we have on, we end up with three to four overdoses here every single day. So our EH, uh, our emergency health services, our ambulances are out answering those calls. If you happen to be more in the afternoon and you have a stroke or heart attack, by the time the ambulance gets to you, or if we have to call one from Princeton, um, you're looking at an hour ride to Kelowna, uh, Kamloops, hour and 15 to Kelowna. And then you are, because we're not locals, we're kind of put to the back and you fall into a waiting list. So it could be five, four or five hours before you're even seen. Whoa. It all depends how severe it is uh, and all the rest of that. So basically you're at the mercy of um, an ambulance. And I, I, you know, we've already had one senior collapse at the front door where our fire department had to get him ready for transportation. And um, because the hospital was closed and he got to Camelston, it all worked out okay, but still, uh, it's only a matter of time before we have somebody pass away in front of those doors, and it's only a matter of time. When is it's your next here, one of the other communities? When is your next tax payment to Victoria due? January, I believe. January. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. We're watching it closely, to say the least. Thank you for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Prices now in your neighborhood grocery store. I've just got through the Thanksgiving weekend. I think for a lot of people, it may have been the most expensive Thanksgiving ever with the price of food going the way it is. I know when I'm at the store now, I'm looking closely at all the prices here. I'm looking in the flyers more often to see what's on sale. Always looking for those cards on the shelves that shows an items on sale. If I'm in the meat aisle for sure and I see chicken or beef, anything that's marked down, yeah, that's usually what I'm grabbing right away and try and cook that for dinner that night. And everyone's looking for ways to cut costs and save a few bucks. 
while at the grocery store. I got the best guest around on that, Kathleen Cassidy standing by, living on a loony. First, let's have a listen to the federal industry minister here. This is Francois-Philippe Champagne. Now, this is the guy who says he called the grocery store CEOs on the carpet uh, recently, tore a strip off them, told them, you you better lower your prices here. He says it's working. Have a listen. I have secured initial commitments uh, from the top five grocers to take concrete actions uh, to stabilize food prices in Canada. Starting soon, Canadians will be able to see rollout of actions such as discount across a basket of food products, uh, price freezes, and price matching campaigns, to name a few. All right, let's discuss with my guest, Kathleen Cassidy, founder of Living on a Looney. And it's always great to have her on here. Hi, Kathleen. Thanks for coming on today. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. It's nice to have you back here again. Can you uh, just remind the listeners again, what do you do there over at Living on a Looney? Yeah, so I basically started social media pages by accident a few years ago, just kind of showing Canadians how I was saving money. Uh, Started off with just coupons and kind of grew from there. Um, But really just there wasn't any representation of how to save money in Canada about 10 years ago when I first started couponing. So I wanted to do that and it kind of blew up during COVID and now with all the grocery inflation. So really just teaching Canadians how to save money and be smart with it. Yeah, and you do a great job on there, and I encourage the listeners to check out all your social media platforms. I know you're everywhere. I'm just doing a quick search. I mean, you're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I mean, you're on every, pretty much every platform, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And you've been described as an extreme couponer, right? So clipping coupons. Do people still clip coupons? It's all online now these days, isn't it? A lot of people think that coupons are still, you know, cutting them out of the paper, and that's not true. There's so many ways that you can save digitally with just your phone or even just with a loyalty points card in store. So a lot of different ways to save that don't really take as much time and effort. Okay, now we heard that clip there from the federal industry minister saying that there are lots of prices coming down, that he's got a commitment from the grocery store CEOs to start doing more sales and price matching. And and are you seeing any evidence of that or prices coming down anywhere? I would definitely say within the last month or so, I've been starting to see kind of those sales prices, especially going back to what was a normal thing before COVID. Um, I think that was the biggest thing. So many prices were kind of, um, you know, drilled up during that time, but they never really came back down after, you know, some of those transportation issues and shortages. Um, So finally starting to see that now kind of across the board. I know just looking through flyers so much myself, the last few weeks, maybe month or so, I've started to kind of feel some relief for people. Um, So I, I hope that does continue. Okay, let me ask you about price matching. And we heard the the federal minister there talk about that. Some grocery stores, it will say, we will honor our, our competitors' prices. And I remember, Kathleen, when I was a teenager, I had a job in a grocery store. And we used to do that at, at our store. If you came into the store with a competitor's flyer, they would honor those prices. They would give you the sale price on the item from your competitor. Do a lot of stores still do that? 
Yeah, so a lot of stores still do that. Really, the only one that stopped during the pandemic was actually Walmart. Um, but everyone else has continued that. So we see that, um, at, you know, uh, Superstore, No Frills, Giant Tiger, I know Save on Foods. Um, so a lot of stores still do that. And that's exactly how it works. Like you said, you basically bring in a local competitor store flyer and show them the price for the exact same item. And they just adjust it to that sale price. So it helps you save there. Okay, that's a good tip for people to to realize, right? Like, what if you do you have to come in like with a, a an actual paper flyer, or can you show the store a sale item on an app or on a website, and they and they will they honor that? Yeah, so most of the stores don't, you don't need paper anymore. Everything can be done on your cell phone. So there's something called uh, the Flip app. There's also the yes. Rebe app. They're both the same, um, but they're basically a digital flyer app. So you put in your postal code or your location, and it will show you all the local store flyers in your area, and that's what you can use to price match. Yeah, and that that Flip app, which is F-L-I-double-P, right? P-P. Correct, yep. Yeah, Flip. And I know that is popular. Like, do you use that a lot? Yeah, so I use it a lot. It's great, again, to kind of compare. If you are lucky enough to have multiple grocery stores in your area, you can kind of compare what's on sale that week. Um, great for price matching. And there's also features right in it that you can make a shopping list. So if you are going to price match something, you can save that to a section. Or if you just want to kind of create your grocery list right inside that app, you can do everything right in there. Okay, so you would recommend that, right? Like for a lot of people who are maybe not as savvy on this stuff, a lot of people have gotten pretty smart on this kind of shopping around. But would you encourage sure. people to like, get that app, right? Yep, and it's free, so it costs you yeah. nothing. All you have to do is download it. You can keep it on your phone. And like anything, the more you use it, the more you familiarize yourself with it. Right, yeah, start getting used to it. Speaking to Kathleen Cassidy, Living on a loony. She does a great job helping Canadians save on, on food prices. Um, what other tips do you have? Like meat prices for sure are just brutal right now. And I will often, if I see meat on sale, like it'll often have a sticker on it. Enjoy tonight. You know, it's just about to expire. So I will usually snap that up and cook it that night. You think that's a good idea? For sure. That is one of my favorite things. Normally to find those types of deals, I like to go kind of early in the morning when the grocery store first opens or kind of yeah. right before they, they close. Um, but you can look for the discounted meat. And if you don't want to cook it that night or anything, you know, you can just throw it in the freezer. And I normally just kind of put a piece of tape or permanent marker or something on it, you know, as soon as unthaw, you know, cook right away. Um, but just something like that can really save you a lot of money for planning ahead. Right. And how about shopping around? Like I, we talked yesterday on the show about this and I had a caller phone me and said he shops around a lot and he finds that's the best way. Go from store to store looking for their sale items. Is there kind of a, a trade off? Like if you're driving around from store to store, I mean, you typically might be burning up some gasoline while you do that too. So I'm just wondering if you, if you save money. I guess it depends on how close the stores are too, right? Yeah, exactly. Always going to depend on your geographical location. Everyone's situation is a little bit differently. But again, what we were going back to and talking about before, if you have the opportunity and you can shop at a store that price matches, that's how yeah. you can kind of ensure that you can get a lot of those deals in one location. And hopefully, you know, you're only going to one grocery store instead of multiple. Okay. you met, I heard you mention Walmart there at one point. Is, is Walmart a good place to shop for food shopping? 
Yeah. So again, totally depends on what you have in your area, but normally Walmart does have a lot of good produce deals. You know, we saw them have mm-hmm. a really good price on ham this week for the Thanksgiving long weekend. Um, so it just really depends on your location and the stores you're comparing it to, but they still have a lot of good sale prices to offer. How about Costco? Are you a Costco fan? I do have a Costco card, but because there's only two of us, I don't normally buy food there just because it's so much that I'm going to waste it. And, you know, when you're wasting food, you're wasting money. Um, But I do love Costco for other reasons. But I think Costco really comes down to, you know, how big is your family? Um, You know, do you have an extra freezer? What how are you storing this kind of large um, jumbo packs of food at the end of the day? Right. Speaking to Kathleen Cassidy, living on a loony with prices the way they've been going, Kathleen, you've been doing this a long time, helping people save money. Like, are you seeing more traffic on your website and on your social media these days? Yeah, I think it just continues to get busier and busier um, and and gaining a lot of followers, which I'm very thankful for. I never, I ever expected it to get to this point. How many followers Um, do you you have now? Um, over 400,000 on TikTok, Whoa. and I think we just hit uh, 156,000 on Instagram yesterday. So that's cool. it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, like we just all have that in common and we're all looking to save money or, or stretch our dollar a little bit further, especially when it comes to the necessities, right? Yeah. Got any other tips? Like what other any other tips for saving money? I think just like some most basic things. I think people forget, you know, things such as, you know, using the Flip app to check the grocery store flyers, compare the prices, see where you want to shop. Another one is just make a simple grocery list. A lot of people I feel like go to the grocery store without a list. um, And that just kind of causes you to throw stuff in your cart. You're trying to come up with meals in your head and snacks. um, And what that does is that doesn't, you know, leave you with necessarily groceries that go together to make dinner or they don't leave you uh, with everything that you need or the opposite is you have so much that you end up throwing it out and that's when you waste money so I think just simple things like that you know making a list and kind of looking at the store flyers can really help you Kathleen keep up the great work thank you for coming on thank you so much have a great day lots of phone calls here on food prices let's get right at it Carolyn in Coquitlam hi Carolyn go ahead yeah hi I just wanted to say I use the flip app a girl at work taught me about it So super easy, not just for groceries. The other day, my friend's son was looking for great big Rubbermaid containers, like to store camping stuff. And she was saying how expensive they are. And like, looked on Flip. I'm like, look, here's Walmart. Here's Canadian Tire. Here's Home Depot. So AirPods I've looked for, razors, like things are a bit more expensive. And also using it to take the screenshot to show at the checkout at Save On to Price Match. Super easy. And they will take that, right? If you just show them a screenshot, they will accept that for the price match. Yeah, because usually it has, like, the date on it. Like, it'll wow. show the flyer, kind of. So at Save-On, anyway, it works wonderful. Carolyn, thank you for the call. Now, I have heard some pretty positive reviews about this app, for sure. Brian in Coquitlam. Hey, Brian, go ahead. Hey, Mike. So, hey, Mike. I'll just add to uh, the previous caller there. So with the app, when you open it up, you can display, like, say, all grocery flyers. And then you're scrolling through the grocery flyers and you're looking through them you can press on items that you see that you have interest in and it adds it to a list. So I can go to No Frills and click on Strawberries and I can go to Save On, click on Strawberries and so on and so on. And then when I'm looking at my list, I can see all the strawberries I, uh, strawberries I clicked on all the different stores and I can see No Frills is 10 cents cheaper than the other place or 15 cents cheaper. It makes it really easy to compare. And then you just 
take it and show it to the uh, person that place that price matches and you can do all your shopping in one place. You get to see the flyers early a day beforehand, usually a preview on the Tuesday because they change every Wednesday. But it's probably the best thing since sliced bread. It's allowed me to save a lot of money and focus my shopping a lot more. It, it's a great app. Yeah, I, I'm convinced. Brian, thank you for that. People are getting savvy and wise to this, these, uh, these tricks you can do. Right? It's not a trick. I mean, it's just common sense. Kathy in Surrey. Hi, Kathy. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. Yeah. About oh, approximately two weeks ago, um, I was in Walmart and I had bought um, that Molson beer, that 0.5 stuff. Yep. And it was nine 9.27 for 12. And then on Saturday, I went there and it was 11.95. And then my daughter said, well, we got to go to Save-On anyway. So we went over to Save-On the exact same price. So that's going up. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Um, that's interesting. I have tried that particular non-alcoholic beer. I've switched over to de-alcoholized beer. And that I find that that one in particular is you can find it on sale. Chris and Penticton. Hey, Chris, go ahead. Nice seeing you, Mike. Uh, hearing, I should say. Uh, yeah, I use a flip. Uh, since it came out, I've been using it. It's a wonderful tool. I uh, I walk from place to place. I gave my car up uh, in Penticton because I can walk everywhere. So I actually strategize where I'm going to shop and I know where I'm going to start, where I'm going to finish. I do do uh, work at getting the deals from other stores that have a better deal. But I also, there's times when I don't uh, so I can really save a lot of walking by using the app. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Uh, good for your health, too, getting in your steps. The Peter Gabriel Show on the weekend in Vancouver. Apparently a great show. Uh, his voice apparently strong as ever. So I've read some really good reviews on, on that show. He's got a lot of big hits and it sounds like a lot of people enjoyed that show. The prices for this show, interestingly, all over the map. So we're going to talk about concert ticket prices here now. I got Kingsley Bailey standing by. If you're like me and you enjoy going to occasional live music event, Man, oh man, we're just getting absolutely sledgehammered with ticket prices here now, especially on sites like Ticketmaster. Have a listen to Joe Berktold here. He is the president of Live Nation. That's the owner of Ticketmaster. Now, you remember the uproar over the Taylor Swift ticket prices here. Listen to him apologize, testifying in front of a congressional committee here. We apologize to the fans. We apologize to Ms. Swift. We need to do better, and we will do better. In hindsight, there are several things we could have done better. And let me be clear, the Ticketmaster accepts its responsibility as being the first line of defense against bots in our industry. It's an ever-escalating arms race. Yeah, so he says uh, the, one of the big problems is the ticket-buying bots that snap up tickets uh, when they go on sale. And then they turn around and sell them for, of course, much higher prices. Use of those bots now supposedly illegal in British Columbia. Let's discuss with my guest, Kingsley Bailey. Kingsley is the general manager, VancouverTicket.com. It's always great to have him on. Kingsley, thank you for coming on today. Uh, Mike, I appreciate you having me. Much appreciated. 
Yeah, you bet. I appreciate you being here. So let, let's talk about the Peter Gabriel show here. And this is something that you alerted alerted me to yesterday. Tell me about the ticket prices there, because it sounds like it was all over the place, the prices. Yeah, the prices were. I know the initial on sale, because of dynamic pricing, and uh, I guess there was a huge demand, prices were hovering in the neighborhood of about $500 each. Um, wow. And um, from that point on, uh, it stated that. And until, and I basically didn't really pay much attention to, because the prices didn't drop. And then I really got interested because I had a few clients that were looking for tickets. And uh, they gave me a budget, what they're looking at, and they were high. And I said, I'd see what I could do for them. And and then the day of the show, I was able to, I, I bought some tickets from some people that did pay those kind of exorbitant prices. And I bought some from there. And then I, I needed to get another pair. And I found a pair on uh, the Ticketmaster when I walked up to the box office and the cost was 223 bucks and I'm going 223 dollars that's that's kind of low uh, mm. for the seats they were really really good seats and I'm going what the heck's going on so I, I I picked them up and then she also told me when I was at the box office that that's the only price in that category um, uh, for available right now everything else is 388 dollars I'm going what one pair at this price that jumps up to 388 i said okay so i didn't think anything of it so i walked back to uh, my office because i'm you know i'm two minutes away from the box office and then i checked later on uh, you know a couple hours before the show and the prices are now dropped down online to 154 dollars each and my question is is there really dynamic pricing or is there are they dynamically pricing the tickets themselves because there is a major disconnect in this whole process of dynamic pricing. And, and I can go into it on, but I'm going to stop and let you talk about this because I have a whole bunch more stuff to say. But, Michael, I'm going to go back to you. Okay, well, that's very interesting to hear the range of prices there, starting from 500 bucks out of the gate in this dynamic pricing. And then it sounds like right at showtime, you could, you could get in for, what, just a little over 150 bucks a ticket. Is it, why is that? Is that like tickets that just didn't sell out in time? So then they drop the they drop the price at the last minute just to unload them. No, what what it is, Michael, is that they hold back the best possible seats and they try and package them up and call them platinum seating. Yeah, and that's how the fans, if they really want to go see a show in very good seats, they're going to pay the platinum seating prices. Yeah. And for Ticketmaster, Live Nation, whoever you want to call it. For them, they have to blanket every one of those seats and make them unavailable to the general public because they feel that if a fan really wants to sit in the best seats, they will pay that exorbitant amount more to get those seats. And that is just unbelievable because that's not fair. Uh, And again, like I've said this to you before, is there needs to be some transparency because if there was transparency, there would not be dynamic pricing because the fans would have a choice. If, If these seats aren't available, why am I going to buy them now? Okay, what about the, the, the ticket-buying bots that we hear a, a lot about? We heard the president of, of Live Nation there testifying in front of a U.S. congressional committee. He describes it as a technological arms race, and this is the problem. He's saying, like, we're doing our best at Ticketmaster here to keep these prices reasonable, but it's these damn bots that keep driving up these prices. Are, Kingsley, are you buying that? Well, you know what? Uh, you know, he's they're doing a great job in lobbying to get to divert where the real problem is. And the real problem is, is if there are no tickets for the bots to get, 
why is there a problem with bots? Because the bots aren't getting these tickets. These tickets are held by the promoter because just look at what I sent you in a screenshot. Those tickets were held by the promoter, not by bots. Yeah. And, uh, and, they're st and, and those are the same seats that they were selling for $500 each. They are really diverting what the real problem is, and that's transparency. If they, if they can keep, it, keep the information away from the public and, and divert them to think, oh, it's a boss that's buying all these tickets up, you know, they've done their job. They've won. They've won. Yeah. Speaking of Kingsley Bailey, VancouverTicket.com, and we're talking about these soaring ticket prices for live shows. Kingsley, you've been in this business a long time. Like, what do you think about the prices that we see? It sounds like, though, people are willing to pay these prices on a lot of occasions, correct? Well, Michael, they're, they're willing to pay them because they don't know any better, because uh, the... Uh, the promoter is able to hide all this information and give very little information out to the, the consumer, and the consumer has no other way but to buy for these tickets. In 2008, when Ticketmaster bought tickets now for six, sorry, $260 million, what they purchased was the historical data of every ticket sold on that platform, every single ticket. So now all of a sudden, they know what the value of tickets are worth from the point of a ticket broker. They know the locations, they know what they can sell for, they know how high they can go, and they know when they sell. $260 million, they have to get that money back. Yeah. And there's only one way to get your money back is you go to some of these sites and you ask them, or you tell them, guys, I, I've just paid $260 million to get information on what these tickets are worth. I can help you make more money from the same tickets and all you have to do is sell them yourself this is just me talking but would that not be a pro a way for a company to get that 260 million dollars back <clears throat> by entertaining to some of these promoters and say hey i've got information that can make you more money um you need okay. to sign another 10-year exclusive deal with me and let's go from there let me ask you if, about whether you think Ticketmaster and live nation are too powerful because there is an argument that they've effectively monopolized the market. They are so dominant. Let me play a clip here for you, Kingsley. This is Joe Grotzinger. He is the CEO of a rival to Ticketmaster, SeatGeek. And he says, hey, Ticketmaster has just become too big, too powerful. Something should be done about it. Have a listen, then I'll get your thoughts. Live Nation controls the most popular entertainers in the world, routes most of the large tours, operates the ticketing systems, and even owns many of the venues. The only way to restore competition in this industry is to break up Ticketmaster and Live Nation. Okay, so he says break up the party here, break up Ticketmaster, break up Live Nation, introduce more competition. I don't know. Kingsley, your thoughts. Do you think that would make a difference? It will make a difference for the short run, but again, there needs to be some legislation in place for transparency. Every time a company comes in, and competes against Ticketmaster, they get bought out. Uh, uh, 15 years ago, we as brokers uh, got together and, and uh, created another site. It was called uh, um, Ticket. It was, another, it was another site. And, um, and what happened again was that company was bought out because there is just too much money to be made. And, and they know that. And if you can control the marketplace, you control everything. And Ticketmaster is controlling everything, but there needs to be legislation so it can never happen again. 
We've got laws in British Columbia that the B.C. government brought in a few years ago and tried to make the case that this was going to make things better, and that's been in place for a while. It, it banned these these bots, for example, in British Columbia. Have you seen any evidence that this was effective in making, making tickets more affordable or no? Absolutely not. Bots are not the problem. Like I said, they are diverting. Uh, the real questions that needs to be asked and answered, and it's not bots. If the tickets are not available to the general yeah. public, how can you say a bots are gobbling up all the tickets? Okay, last question for you, Kingsley. In your experience over the years, which was the show with the highest demand you've ever seen in British Columbia and drove the prices up the highest? What would you rank at the top of the list? Hottest, hottest ticket ever. The hottest ticket ever. The, uh, yeah. There's just, Michael, there's just so many of them. But I, I want to go, if I can step back, I want to go and, and say this. In yeah. 2008, after Ticketmaster bought, after Ticketmaster bought um, tickets now, the biggest show that was coming was Sade. She was okay. huge. She blew it up. I was ready for Bear for that show. Huge. Mm -hmm. What happened was, they manipulated the market to such a way where there was no tickets that came available. Back, if people, if your listeners can remember, back then there were lineups. There was even a Ticketmaster office on Hornby Street. Brokers would line up, sometimes overnight, get their tickets, and sometimes after they got their tickets, they would chat among themselves and say, "What did you get on the first poll, second, third poll?" Well, when we all got together and talked about it, when we all got together and talked about it, we found out that the best seats that came out were on a scale of one to ten, twos. No mm. broker bought tickets for that show. And guess what? Shortly thereafter, the Sade show was canceled. And that's Whoa. when I came to realize the beginning of the manipulation of the market from Ticketmaster. Kingsley, thank you for coming on with your thoughts on this today. I appreciate it. All right, Michael, thank you. War in Israel now. The shocking surprise attack by Hamas. Latest developments here, Israeli forces amassing near the border with Gaza for what appears to be an inevitable ground invasion here. I've got Dan Stanton standing by to discuss. Here's a key question. How was Hamas able to surprise Israel with this unprecedented attack, especially with Israel's reputation for its intelligence infrastructure there? Have a listen to this report here now. This is from NBC News. Really promoting what they see as a victory, Hamas produced and edited a publicity video. It says shows their fighters training to use paragliders to attack Israel. How could the celebrated Israeli intelligence services and military be caught completely off guard? Many tonight calling it a monumental intelligence failure. How did Israel's vaunted intelligence network and military and the U.S. not see this coming. There were a lot of failures that uh, led up to this. Uh, clearly, the Israelis uh, didn't have the either human or technical sources that gave them insight into this. Uh, this clearly was a, a failure of uh, epic proportions. Let's discuss now with my guest, Dan Stanton. Dan is a former executive at CSIS, Canada's National Intelligence Agency. He has expertise in international intelligence. Dan, thank you for coming on today. Oh, uh, my pleasure, Mike. Okay, Dan, it's absolutely heartbreaking and tragic to watch these events unfold in Israel. How? What are your thoughts on the apparent intelligence failure here? How was Hamas able to pull off this surprise attack? 
Well, um, I mean, I'm as gobsmacked and shocked, I think, Mike, as, as anybody, not only the, the attack and, of course, the, the violence that we're seeing, but, you know, Israel does have uh, very, very good intelligence collection capabilities. They've got their domestic service, Shin Bet, which would have primacy here with Hamas. They've got the uh, secret intelligence service known as Mossad uh, that would be covering, you know, Hamas, links to Iran, things like that. And they've got military intelligence. And we know they've got a lot of technical capabilities. They're known, world-renowned known for their human collection. That's human sources and agents. And despite that, and despite the legendary representation, this happened. But when we look at an intelligence failure like this, we also have to look at the other side. And this is in many ways a counterintelligence success for Hamas. They're not just passive players here. They, like many terrorist organizations that become like a state, over time, develop a very good counterintelligence capability. They have an internal security that's good at identifying sources and moles that could be working in this case for Israeli intelligence. And I also suspect they're very good at pulsing out the type of story or the type of narratives they want Israeli intelligence to pick up. And that may have happened here. There may have been some mm. sources providing false information to the Israelis to lull them into, I guess, a, a state where everything is lovely. Uh, so it's a success for Hamas as much as it's a failure for Israel. Right. And when you take a look at the scale of this invasion, though, and we've heard about, you know, a thousand Hamas fighters pouring over the border. Obviously, there would be hundreds of people would have known what is going on within Gaza. And when you think about the reputation that Israel has for its intelligence infrastructure, it's available, its ability to intercept communications, Paid informants, right? Do they pay informants? They have paid informants inside Gaza? Well, they, they, they do. They're very successful. Over time, they have. They've recruited in the prisons. They've, they've had access to sources. They're very skilled at recruiting agents and sources and finding whatever motivates them. With sources, it's never just money. It can be various reasons. And so they would continue to have sources. I mean, that wouldn't have just stopped as things improved with, with Hamas. But yeah. they may have had a good source giving them good leadership information, maybe good information for a year, but not what they really needed to know, which was the intentions and plans to carry out what they did on Saturday. Yeah. Speaking to former CSIS agent Dan Stanton here about the war in Israel. Dan, do you, is it possible that perhaps Israel, the Netanyahu government, may have taken their eye off the ball here? Israel has been distracted by domestic strife. The, the, the Netanyahu government trying to reform the judicial system over there. There have been huge protests in the street. There are big domestic problems in Israel over the last few months. Do you think maybe that contributed to them taking their eye off the ball here? I'd like to think not. I mean, I'd like to think it wouldn't be that simple as an answer. I mean, when you deal with humans, um, it's not labor intensive. You only need a few good, well-placed sources to tell you. But I mean, I have heard things about the protests. I've heard things about retirees from Mossad and that wanting to go out in the protests. And there were also issues with the reserves and troops not being called up. So I'd like to think it's not something like that. But again, this is such a horrendous failure. You've got to wonder, could that be one of a number of factors? Yeah. Let me ask you about these reports that have come out here, too, in the last 24 hours or so. Uh, Associated Press among them and other news organizations reporting that Egypt may have warned Israel in, ad in advance that an attack was coming. Now, this is something that Israel has now flatly denied. They said they did not receive any advance warning from Egypt, but there are multiple 
reports on on this. Let me play this clip here for you, Dan, for your thoughts. This is this report is from TBNZ News. Egypt's top intelligence officials saying that Israel totally dropped the ball here. They ignored huge warning signs that something big was coming from Hamas in Gaza and they did nothing to stop it. In other words, Egypt says Israel knew this was coming. They warned Israel. They had multiple conversations about it. They admitted this. Israel has arguably the most sophisticated intelligence service in the world, and yet they purposefully didn't do anything to stop it. Egypt says they knew about it. So if that's true, why would they do that? Okay, I think the the key part there at the end, Dan, is if, if this is true. Now, Egypt or Israel has put out a statement in the last 24 hours flatly denying this. It's absolutely not true that they were warned in advance by Egypt. Your thoughts on these reports? It could be true, but it could be completely vague and unspecific information. After 9-11, and I've studied 9-11 as an intelligence failure, though I think it was about 15 countries, North Africa, all over the place saying, yes, we told the Americans there was going to be a strike in North America. No more information. Just general stuff that usually we associate with chatter. So maybe Egypt did say, we're hearing something. But that's very different than saying we're aware of a specific attack on a specific thing. So the Israelis themselves may have been getting chatter. They may have been getting some indication something is up. But if you don't have that well-placed source to tell you exactly when and where and what it is, um, you can't really act upon it. So I'd say those statements could be half true. Maybe Egypt did say something. Maybe their intelligence service did say, hey, we're hearing something. But that's different than saying we know the Japanese are going to attack on Pearl Harbor on the 7th of December, and then they didn't do anything about it. What role did Iran play? Like a lot of this is we don't have firm information either way. The Wall Street Journal reporting that Iran may have been in on this attack and approved it, financed it. Does that make sense to you? And would 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 Israel's intelligence apparatus not have picked up on that, too? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe IRGC. They, you see, Iran lends support to Hamas. They lend material support and money and they cheer them on. We have to remember also Iran is is Shia, Hamas is Sunni, and Iran doesn't tell Hamas what to do. So I think some of these, the Iranian role is being embellished a little bit, maybe for policy reasons, or maybe just to tie it into it. I know Israel would like to nail Iran over something like this. So they play a role, certainly a supportive role and a training role, but I don't think they're the ones that are saying, you've got to do that and you're gonna do it on this day. They might not necessarily have known about the attack. You got to remember the people that knew of the attack, this is going to be a close hold. There's probably only a handful in Hamas at the most that would know about it. Even the fighters that are going to cross the border and kill civilians wouldn't know about it until the last minute. So then to even bring in Iran, that that leads a greater opportunity of leakage. And that's a greater chance that Mossad would have picked up on it if you've got all these other moving parts who know about it and are planning about it and the Egyptians are hearing about it. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Okay, Dan, last question for you. Now we have, of course, new worries about a potential two-front war. If Iran-backed Hezbollah attacks from Lebanon, for example, would is I imagine Israeli intelligence must now be on maximum alert to any possibility of this thing widening, correct? Yeah, they are. And don't forget, this isn't they're not a one trick pony. They're not just working one group. They've been working Hezbollah for years. So a lot of these groups and state players, they access, they penetrate. 
So it's just a matter of they, 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 they may even be messaging back in various ways saying, you know, don't try something stupid. But it, it is sort of a, a nightmare scenario is you get these other players, particularly the Arab states, and uh, how this thing unfolds. And it could get very messy very fast. Yeah. yeah it's just tragic watching this unfold. Dan, thank yeah. you for your thoughts today. Oh, my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.